Happy Resurrection Day to all. It's an honor to be able to bring the Word of God to the ears and the hearts of the congregants here at Acts Reformed Church. And I want to begin before we get into the text. I remember in my junior high years, at school, they brought in a lady who was, I think if I recall correctly, she was in her late 70s. And she gave us kind of a rundown of the experiences that she went through during the Great Depression. Now that is something that 60s something years before I was even born, something that I would never be able to experience because it happened before I was born. And there was only certain people that were still alive at the time that I was in junior high, maybe that, I mean, that was obviously a, a lower number that could come and tell me about the experiences. Now, in the similar fashion, later on when my kids are older and they want to speak to me about one of the most important and devastating events of our lives, it's when they come up and they ask me, hey, what happened September 11th? And I could say, you know what? I remember I woke up and I was getting ready for school and my dad said, James, come over here, something's happened. And the TV's on and we're watching what's happening and I'm seeing the reactions of my father, myself, my mom who came in later, then those people at school and it was just such a devastating event, but it was a memorable event. So here on Resurrection Day, we're going to be speaking about the most memorable event in the history of mankind. It is the resurrection of our Savior, of our Mediator, of our Lord, of our God. And when the New Testament writers spoke and wrote about it, this was like their September 11th for me personally, right? The most important event of my life that I could recall what was going on and everything in between. So please keep that in mind that these first century Christians who are out there proclaiming the word of God are in fact saying, we witness Christ risen. And to that, we give the glory to God. Please stand for the reading of the word of God. We're going to be in the book of Acts, verses, oh, chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. This is a bit of an unorthodox text, but here it shows you the validity that is being spoken of by the Apostle Peter when it comes to the resurrection of our God. Let's begin. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, 
because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Let's pray. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come together on this resurrection day to glorify your name, first of all, and secondly, to be in wonder and amazement of the works that you have done that are spoken about and written in your holy scriptures. We celebrate this day because your son has risen and death has not defeated him. And in this we can always say, blessed be our Lord and God, King of the universe. For these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So these are very important texts because you're seeing the validity of the eyewitnesses that have witnessed Christ and even ate with them. And they held him and worshipped him. We're speaking truth here. This is not a myth. You can look at all the writings that have been written about not only the Holy Scriptures, but about this exact event. And you will see that none of the refu supposed refutations make any sense because they were not able to produce a body, they were not able to suppress the message of Christ, and his kingdom, like a mustard seed, has now grown. And we are recipients of that kingdom by worshiping who? Our King Jesus Christ. So in this quick sermon, I want to give three major points. I'm going to start off with this resurrection being prophesied in the Old Testament Holy Scriptures. Those scriptures where Jesus himself and the apostles held dearly, were governed by, and were the rule book and practice of their daily life. I'm also going to show how this resurrection was fulfilled in the account of Matthew. And then we're going to finish it off with what is the significance of this resurrection. So to begin, this event was prophesied a thousand or so years ago before it happened. 
and we have the scriptures to prove it because then the apostles and the New Testament writers, because not all the New Testament writers were apostles, spoke about and referenced some of these scriptures. So first I want to show in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, where it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. In the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Hosea is giving an immediate account of the Israelites, those that have been brought into oppression and into exile by the empire of the Babylonians. But in this text, he is given a brief prediction of the remnant of Israel, the called out ones, the church being raised up and being brought out and revived through a mediator, a savior who must die for their sins. Why must he die for their sins? Because it has to be a perfect sacrifice. Are any of us perfect? No, not even by a long shot. And even those that might think that they're close are not close by a long shot. So it has to be a perfect sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was sinless and followed the will and obeyed the will of the Father. And this is corroborated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.4 when it comes to being raised on the third day, where it says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The Apostle Paul, the New Testament writers, the church of the first century and on are governed by the Holy Scriptures. Amen to that? We live by the inspired word of God because if we live by our own morality, anybody can have whatever morality they want. We will always go back to all these empires where there's been a ruler. One of the most famous that we bring up is Adolf Hitler or another one, Joseph Stalin. These are living by principles that they believe are okay. They're not grounding it on any transcendent God. And they're not basing it on any morality that, change, that does not change. But what do we do as a church? We base our morality, our laws, and we are governed by the immutable word of God that does not change. It has been closed. And that's why we preach here sola scriptura. The word of God, just like God, has the attribute of not changing. It is infallible. It is inerrant. So when we read it, we know that it is truth. And when somebody questions you, you say, where are you getting your truth? What transcendent being are you basing it from? They can never give you an answer. Because they can't. They are going by their own beliefs. 
and even their own traditions that they have been brought up. Now, I also want to show how David in Psalm, which we kind of went through in the book of Acts, how he also prophesies about the resurrection of our God. Let's go to Psalm 16, 9 through 10, where it says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And as we saw in Acts, when it, that is quoted, they quote Hades because that's the equivalent of Sheol in the Greek. That is where the wicked await judgment day. It is a real place. And through the resurrection of Christ, we have been lifted from that curse. And we will one day, both spirit and flesh and blood that is glorified by the resurrection, will live eternally with our Lord, face to face, worshiping him like it is in Revelation 4. I would recommend looking up Revelation 4, reading the whole chapter, and seeing how our God is worshipped in heaven. And again, just like in Acts chapter 2, which we read earlier, also in Acts 13, 34 through 35, it corroborates what David said in that psalm, where it says, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. It's such a beauty to see a fulfillment of the holy scriptures. We can go back and say these have Prophecies have been fulfilled, boom, 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 throughout history. It is one of the evidences of the truthfulness of our Bible. But we base our truth because this has been written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the word that penetrates the soul and the heart and changes us to obey Christ because we love him. No other scripture, no other text is like it. And no, no text has ever been scrutinized and looked at as much as these 66 books. Now I want to show how this resurrection was fulfilled in the book of Matthew chapter 28. That would be verses 1 through 10. Listen to these words. Meditate on it. Listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. You see how this event is brought about through supernatural means. And it must be because it defies science. It defies what is the normal laws of nature. But who has the ability to do that? Our Lord, our God. If he created this world, he was before it. He can create out of nothing. Because if this universe is supposedly eternal, science says that it's not. That there was a beginning and there will eventually be an end. And if the universe created itself, let me ask you a question. When has anything created itself? To create yourself, you have to be before. So logically, there must be a being before the universe who creates this universe. And when the creator creates the heavens and the earth, he has the authority to govern us and we are to obey him as his scriptures say. And in this supernatural event of the resurrection of Christ, we see the first fruits of what will happen at the end of time, the resurrection of the dead, because we will all die physically, but spiritually our souls are eternal. And one day when that resurrection happens, we will be glorified and we will be face to face with our Lord, worshiping him for all time. And I want to show that as the significance of the resurrection. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to do a, a bit of reading on this chapter in bits and pieces. Let's go to the first eight verses. It says, now I would remind you, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And listen to this. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I want to make a quick note when he speaks, I'm sorry, when he writes of first importance. That is the Greek word protois, which means in front of the line, above all. There's nothing more important than the resurrection of our God, than the gospel that is put forth. And as you see here, he's not only appealing to what he has told them, but he's saying, there's more than 500 people that he appeared to. Go ask them. Just like I said, how many of you here remember September 11th and your children or your grandchildren later are going to come and ask you and you're going to say, oh, let me tell you the story of that day. Because it was impactful. It was an event that we will never forget. So when he says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, you see the contrast, alive and asleep, or have already passed on, have died. Go ask them. You're going to see the validity, the veracity of what we're talking about. Now, in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, let's go through verses 12 to 23 and you're seeing Paul penetrate our souls and our minds by giving us the gospel and telling us what we await now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. See how he reiterates it again. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. These are some serious things. If we do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, which presupposes the resurrection of Christ. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, that's Christ's resurrection. Then at his coming, at the end of time, those who belong to Christ. Doesn't that give you hope and assurance that the Lord is going to raise us up and we're going to live eternally with him? Doesn't that bring you joy? As he also speaks of in verses 54 through 57, listen to this. This is the crux of the matter of why we hope in the resurrection of the dead, which presupposes the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious, we are justified, we are glorified, not by our own merits, because we are not perfect, we are flawed, we are wretched, as the song Amazing Grace says, right? A wretched, a wretch like me. We are vindicated, justified, and glorified by Christ. That's why we come to worship him. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. That is who we worship. That is what we celebrate today. He has risen. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verses 24 through 25, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His death took away our sin. His resurrection has given us victory over death. And his perfect life has given us entrance into the kingdom of God. And just this quick note from the Reformation Study Bible, I think succinctly puts it together. Christ's death and resurrection are too indivisible. They cannot be divided, but distinguishable aspects of his own saving work. In his death, Christ bore the legal penalty for our guilt. In raising Jesus from the dead, the Father vindicated Jesus, nullifying the sentence of death and declaring him to be righteous. This vindication grounds our justification through our union with Christ. That is the significance of the resurrection 
and of his death and of his perfect life. We are in union with Christ. We are vindicated. We have spiritually and physically will defeat death because of the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. For those that doubt, read the scriptures. Read all the accounts of all those that try to refute and rebuke what is fact. For those that have forgotten, the word of God is what penetrates the soul. The gospel is what brings us to Christ. Today, we celebrate the victory in Christ because he has died and he has been risen for our sins and now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as king, prophet, and priest. And one day, we will be together with him physically, face to face, worshiping him for all eternity. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as you sit at the right hand of the Father, as the Holy Spirit penetrates us, teaches us, instructs us, and gives us the hope that we need to live in union with you, we are humbly grateful that your Holy Scriptures, your word, brings us to life as the dead bones were raised in the book of Ezekiel. As in John 3, it says you must be born again. You have brought us to your presence to live with you and love you and obey you for all time. We glorify your name. We exalt you above the heavens. For you have vindicated yourself and have defeated death. Because the victory is ours altogether. The sons of God. The sons and daughters of our Father, of our Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For these things we pray and we glorify your name. In that name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.